This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 416, AR Space Invaders. Hello and welcome again to another edition of GamesAtWork.biz. This is Michael Martin. I'm joined here today as I normally am by Michael Rowe and the two of us are going to carry on uh, in Andy's absence today to bring you the week's news about tech, games, gamification, AR, VR, AI, pretty much anything that starts with A, I guess, is is our our game for today. Yeah, the Fonz, right? You know, all those things. Michael, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm I'm just doing PG Keen. Excited to to dive right in on all the fun that we've seen this. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as I alluded to a moment ago, uh, Andy will not be joining us today. He is he is off doing other good fun stuff. But he did share with us uh, a little image, uh, as well as some video before. But we're not going to share the video with all of you. You get an image, uh, we get the video. That's how it works. That's right. Um, but it's really cool. Unless you want to be a contributor to the show, uh, we take uh, fives, tens, and twenties. <laughs> yeah, uh. exactly. <laughs> But Andy is is off doing some really cool art, and one of the things that he sent us was an example of a plotting machine that now uh, generates art, if you will. It's a generative art creator, and it's got some really cool line art and, and pencil art for uh, painting humans and the like, all directly from this arm against the table. Really, really, really cool. So... um. Check it out. Uh, as you know, audio podcast, visual stuff, you got to look in the show notes. Um, we're going to get going today on all, well, maybe not all, because that would take us way too long, but some of the announcements that came through in the past week. So one of the big conferences going on in the past couple of days has been Google I.O., and there have been a whole range of things that are pretty darn exciting about what Google is bringing to the table and how they're sharing what they're sharing. So elements like phones, uh, new capabilities around AI, uh, experiences around uh, bringing the, the, the barred environment to people without having a wait list. Um, I've got a couple of things that I was pretty impressed about, and I'm I'm eager to talk about them with you, Michael. What would you say is your top two things that you were most um, most impressed by from the announcements this week? Well, um, how, how how do I say this without sounding jaded? Uh, I'm not a big Google fan, <laughs> which may come across at times. Um, it's nice to see them put out a. Um, a foldable pixel phone, right? Um, the the aspect when I look at this that's more exciting is not the fact that it's a foldable phone, uh, but that it's kind of creating a mini tablet. Mm-hmm. And given my experience with Android tablets in the past, they were, to put it politely, subpar. <laughs> and as a reference device, right, I think this will at least step up the game on Android's tablet um, 
actions, and that's exciting to me. I think that's good. Uh, it'll be nice to see what they can do with it. Um, price range is still, wow, $1,800 bucks us that's, that's a lot for a phone. Um, I mean... Apple's high-end phones are expensive, so but they're not quite that expensive, um, and but they don't fold, so that's interesting. Um, I I want to learn more about the revamp of the Home app, right? Hmm. Uh, when I when I think of what I use Apple's Home app for, it's almost nothing, <laughs> even though I have devices that leverage it. Um, and I've not looked at Google's home app in a very long time since I got rid of my Google, uh, uh, wireless network router that I had for a while. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, I do like their constant improvements around photo editing. Right. And of course, everything's using AI. So, uh, that, that matches, uh, the message of the week and, um, I had read a little bit about, uh, what do they call it? Duet AI for workspace. That's kind of interesting, uh, but I don't know enough to, to, to say, is it something that I would care about? <laughs> so a, a number of things you're, you're, uh, maybe not like fully impressed by, but you've, you've got some interests, uh, around. So I, I'd say if I were going to pick a couple of things, uh, one would be, the AI infusion around photography because we've we've seen Google do this already before. This some of this is not new, and for for those of you who have not seen this yet, uh, what Google's announced um, something they're calling a, a Google Magic Editor, so that you can change the image. Um, not just by applying filters, because a lot of people love to apply filters to make their their photo- photographs uh, more vivid or or just pop in one way or another, uh, but it's things like the magic eraser uh, functionality that they had before of taking objects in a photo and removing them. So like if there was some problem in the photo, like you were wearing a strap of a bag across your body and you wanted to get rid of that, you could. Um, now the new sets of capabilities here are moving things around. So in the Apple ecosystem, which I'm more familiar with, like Michael, like you, you can do some neat things about saying, Hey, I want to select this thing in the foreground and basically cut it out and make a sticker out of it. Um, that's kind of cool here. What Google has done is said, I want to take something, cut it out and move it in the image itself and let the AI auto generate what the background would be behind it. So the, the examples that they used here were uh, a kid with a bunch of balloons on a bench. And if you wanted to put the kid and a bunch of balloons in the middle of your picture, you can move the kid over and Google's background AI magic will extend the bench, paint the rest of the balloons that are now in view, but weren't there before and make it all very, very lifelike. So intrigued by that quite a, quite a bit, but by the same token, it now introduces a whole range of other things of, can you believe what you see? And related to that thought, what Google is doing here too, is for all of the generation of content, they're aiming to watermark it in order that you can have now a trusted, responsible way of saying, Hey, this picture has now been edited and things have been changed around it. Now, the skeptic in me would say, interesting. 
Um, can you, can you edit the metadata? Yeah. Well, of course you could, and you could say that something is, you know, no filter hashtag, no filter. Um, when in reality it may have had all kinds of stuff done to it anyway. And you can take screen grabs of things that you have manipulated as it is. So to me, that was like super interesting on a lot of levels. Uh, this yeah, the, 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 the photo thing, as you say, it's, it's a combination of a bunch of existing technology. Yep. Right. It's it's the get rid of the strap. It's the, you know, uh, touch up, right? It's the capture this thing and isolate it from the image. And using those th three things together, I can now move somebody across a picture, right? Uh, so, so logically, it makes a lot of sense. And one of the things, I and mean, then we've talked about this, uh, gosh, 2010 or 2011, I was, I was at a, a conference where I took a deep dive class on Photoshop when they first introduced their AI generative capabilities to do touch up, right? Right. And how that works, right? It works really great with natural things which have hidden fractals in it. It doesn't work very well with man-made things. So the example that you see in the, in the one article that we're going to put in the show notes of moving the person over and having the hand underneath the waterfall. It's a gravel road below them. That's easy to do. Had that been a cement road, it wouldn't have been easy. Huh. Right. There's all these little tricks that they do when they show this stuff. So again, I agree. It's cool. I like the metadata thought, right? Yeah. You know? Well, it's something you have to watch out for. And it's, it's again, the level of skepticism you have to bring. So that was one. And my second thing for the two that I was pretty impressed with was something called um, uh, Project Tailwind. And Google's Project Tailwind is a notebook capability where basically you're creating a personalized large language model for you. So the examples that they gave around this were you bring into your local large language model in conjunction with the standard large language model, your notes, your observations, maybe even a recording or a transcript of a professor's course. And then that notebook now is a personalized level of, of, of an artificial intelligence agent that you can do things like uh, tell me more about this or that topic based upon the, the corpus of information that exists plus your own notes and elements there with attribution. So you can see, hey, this is really interesting. I've got this piece of information from my class notes that happened last Thursday and this other piece of information maybe came from the Wall Street Journal. So really neat stuff there. Do you remember the the tool? I want to say it was middle of last year, maybe end of last year, um, that was going to build a index of everything on your machine. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. and then allow you to roll back in the timeline and say, "What was that thing I was talking about in the one meeting last Thursday?" And can you show me the slide I was on? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the concern that it had around security and privacy of how that tool worked. I'd really like to understand Project Tailwind's security and privacy policy, especially as it relates to, you know, the corpus that it's ingesting, even if it's local on your device and what it learns from it. 
Um, and it immediately got me thinking, I'm sure that's why you brought it up too, uh, the article that we're going to talk about later in this section uh, about the disappearing computer. Right? Yeah. Because well, it has that same idea. Yeah, absolutely. So th- there's there's some neat stuff here in the way that AI is evolving incredibly fast for everybody who's who's watching and paying attention here too. And, uh, and if you're not paying attention, boy, how do you, you kind of need to. Um, so we had, we had a few other... Uh, articles related to some of the announcements in the space. Uh, one of them was a language learning element. Now, this is this is not Duolingo or something like that. This is a language learning um, set of capabilities from Google to help people learn ASL, American Sign Language, or, or sign language in general. And what I really loved about this is is that it's using. Um, well, actually, I don't know if it's using TensorFlow and some of the other elements behind the scenes, but it's allowing you to practice what you need to do using your phone's camera to demonstrate that you are signing properly, just like you're doing audio wise. Really kind of cool. And it's, and they're setting it up as a game. So it's using a, um, uh, oh gosh, what, what's uh, the name of like candy crush or something like that is a way. Well, there was another one where you're popping bubbles and stuff, right? Kind of not breakout, but kind of like breakout too, right? Cause you're shooting up the sides to kind of clear out rows. Yep. And, and back from kind of your, your neck of the woods, although not exactly, I mean, this is another set of innovations that's coming out of Georgia tech. And so that caught my eye too, because as of late, Georgia tech has been showing up in my feeds on a lot of different things. Now, staying on the game theme for a minute, um, it's really cool that Google and uh, the inventors, if you will, or the creators of Space Invaders are teaming up to have a real world Space Invaders kind of game that you can experience in augmented reality. Here, here's a nice join, you know, theme of the show, games, work, fun, AR, um, and that is uh, going to be rolling out here pretty soon. And if you watched the little um, snippet of video, it's really neat because it's overlaying on top of existing cities and structures, this kind of thing. Yeah, right when I, when I saw that article come across the feed this week, I immediately thought about the, the Adam Sandler movie Pixels, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which has giant space invaders attacking the city. Uh, and, and they're kind of not AR, they're in RR, <laughs> real reality. Yeah. <laughs> So, so if, if uh, our friends at, at Google or Tato are, are kind of listening to this, or, or Atari is really where I'm going, here's here's a grand idea for you. How about an AR version of Missile Command, where if you don't protect your city, then the buildings that are in your AR environment start to take damage, and you can see that happening in real time. Or for that matter, how about Rampage? That'll be kind of fun too. <laughs> I would feel better with Rampage, only because Missile Command would uh, kind of would have real world <laughs> look to it. Well, it would, right? It would. But Rampage. I don't expect to see a giant lizard or or uh, other creature banging on buildings. No, but again, th- these things could be kind of fun, and um, maybe even harkening back to one of the elements announced also by Google is that they've got an AR uh, generative. Uh, image set of setups for giving you new home screens on your Android phones. So what you could do maybe to, to make 
sure that if you're dealing with Rampage, you know, the the Empire State Building or the Eiffel Tower now doesn't look photorealistic anymore. It looks a little bit more impressionistic, perhaps, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So that would be kind of fun. It's a Pollock version. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, that'll be good. Or, or, or they could be melting. I'm melting. I'm melting. Um, so, Michael, you, you started off when I said, hey, give me a, a couple of things you were impressed by about these announcements. You started with the the foldable phone. And this article that we are pulling in here from Boy Genius Report kind of mirrors a little bit of what I think about this, which is, okay, why? Um, if I needed a tablet, I can bring a tablet. If I have a phone, I want a phone. I'd, and I worry about the folding screen. We've talked about that plenty of times before, too. So uh, you didn't seem super impressed either by the idea of, okay, it's, yes, there's some use cases and you can do like a selfie and you can see yourself in the selfie as you're taking the photo. So yeah, that's nifty, but you know, is that worth this amount of money and having potential, you know, other problems arise when you fold and unfold and fold and unfold and fold and unfold the phone? Yeah, no. uh, And, and, and the, the article you're referencing, is about you know Apple not doing it, and that's good. Yeah. Uh, but again, my point from a Google perspective, I am excited about it only as a reference device for tablet, right? Because the tablets stink, <laughs> and the, the the phone is such an iconic piece of kit for most companies that are in this space that are doing phones and tablets, right? There's significant higher adoption of the phone, and if you're going to make a phone that can get to about the size of a small tablet, you're going to have to up your game on the tablet, right? That's, that's why Google doing one, I think is a good thing. I wouldn't buy it. I would, I would not, let's, let's get straight. I'm not going to buy a folding phone yet. <laughs> well, and, you, and you've um, got other tablets that are more, you know, tablets. prescriptive for service and that that's yeah. where you use them. And you're, you're actually a pretty heavy power user when it comes to tablets too, probably oh, yeah. more so than most people are. Right. Yeah, uh, I edit our podcast on a tablet, right? Uh, I, I do a lot of work on the tablet. Uh, it's not just a consumption device. Right. Uh, my apps that I write, I write them and make sure that they are tablet native also, right? Uh, so, so that they really take advantage of uh, the device. So, yeah, I... Uh, but... <laughs> from a folding device. I don't know if I'd want a folding tablet. Now, now we did talk about, I guess right around CES, the um, updated Lenovo, uh, was it the Yoga? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, which, which basically was a foldable tablet, right? Because the top and the bottom were actually just large screens. Right. And then you could put a keyboard overlay on the bottom one. Right. In order to turn it into a quote laptop, but it had a hinge um, too, though, didn't it? Or was it fully? Yeah, it, f- it did. It did have somewhat of a hinge, but still, it's getting into that space where the the display is relevant on all sides, right? Mm-hmm. And what what's more interesting for me when it comes to foldable devices, and I can't remember who made it. There was one that was that had a screen on all sides. <laughs> including <Right>. the edge. <laughs> well, it got a wrap. No, it, it was two dimensional, uh, <laughs> the front and the back. Uh, but, but, you know, the idea being that, 
when you closed it, so when you folded it, you still had a screen. Right. Yeah, for alerts and announcements, and it didn't yeah. draw as and much power then, right? So so I, I think it's still interesting. It's just it's none of them have gotten to the point where they're of value to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I agree with you. I'm, I'm the same way. In fact, I find that, um, gosh, the, the, I, I don't know where I read this, but it, it really resonated with me a while ago that there is a a viewing distance that if you hold your phone a certain degree of distance from your face, it's as if you're watching a TV that is so much, so much larger at an appropriate viewing distance. And, and given that the, the phone I have in most cases is actually pretty suitable for this. Now, would I mind having an iPad mini to have a slightly bigger screen? Uh, that, That might be nice, but you know, if I'm on a plane or you know I'm 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 traveling or hanging out somewhere, I can watch on my phone almost nearly as well as I would on on a small uh, tablet, and I'd be almost as happy. I mean, uh, granted, a big screen is always better in in my mind, but then I also want the other aspects of it. You know, amazing sound quality, immersive experience, not having things on if, my head. If only there was a device that would kind of cover your eyes and. Yeah. yeah, let me let me walk Look around. Like a full wraparound screen. Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, maybe the computer needs to disappear entirely, which is kind of the the story of our our next uh, element here. And this is a a TED talk by the one of the founders of the group Humane, and we talked about this. I'll I'll find it in our show notes, and I'll link to the articles and the timing when we did talk about this before. But it was uh, the notion of hey, what can happen if the compute device really goes into the background, and you're able to get what you need to get to? And I would say there there's some really intriguing aspects of this that um, would suggest that you can go without screens entirely if you're we're not talking about media consumption, but you're talking about interaction, you're talking about AI, and you're talking about a personalized assistant that's going to benefit you in a secure, uh, personal way. And and the reminder for me was, this is almost the communicator style thing from a Star Trek perspective, where you, you hit the badge, and it allows you to connect with people or connect with an assistant that provides you with information that you might need in the moment to help guide you do what you need to do in your day. Yeah, and this this, this is interesting. Uh, and um Watching the video again, it there's so much unknown. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great TED Talk demo, right? Oh, where, yeah. Where you demonstrate something, but you give enough to show it's interesting, but not enough to say what it really is, right? So uh, as an example, um, he's using sometimes one, sometimes two fingers uh, tapping the device that's in his breast pocket. Right. Uh, it has a, a small... Um, camera infrared camera plus other camera plus um uh display projector right uh so that he can he can project things on his hand when he wants to see something so it's not completely gone no no but it's kind of like those Um, watches remember that uh we invested in a while ago (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, which never showed. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, so what was not clear was how it knew what 
response to give at the beginning of the tap, right? Right. Uh, because one time it behaved one way, another time it behaved a different way, and I couldn't tell if he was touching it differently, right? Um, the the point on the AI again, it was very interesting, and I've I've heard a couple of other articles talking about this recently, trying to figure out if you know where's the data stored, right? Because he had this personal AI that, and the cool part was it took his vocal mannerisms and use that when it did real-time translation to other languages. So it was his voice translating to Span- uh, to, to French when he spoke in English. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw some right? of these. Those and, were really cool. And, and, yeah. And, and so, match so the lip get, movements. Well, no, no, because there was no lip. It was just audio. Oh. It was him talking, and then it translated, universal translator. Okay. Uh, and it, it came out and spoke in French for him. Mm. So, so... That was interesting, but it required an, a knowledge of him and his speaking well enough in order to build that model. And then he, he's like, summarize my day. Yeah. And it went through all his emails, all his calendar events, et cetera, et cetera, and chose a subset of three items to provide one or two sentences each about to do something with, to make an action. Again, privacy. And security are so key and critical because the device that he was holding in his pocket was a little bit larger than a universal communicator from Star Trek. Yeah, but not much. And so so that means it's got wireless networking communicating to some kind of server and that server stores the data because he said you didn't have to carry anything else with you. Right. It wasn't paired with your phone. So it's a cellular device or a network device of some sort. And so... Really, really cool, interesting use case opened up tons and tons of questions (laughs) that I'd like to have answers for. Now, it doesn't exist yet, right? It's coming out sometime in the next few months. And it's been a little while. So it's like, when when are those months going to be less few? Mm -hmm. So we can start getting answers to some of these more meaningful, technical, and security. Yep. And and, but very cool. and a lot of people are going to want answers to those before they dive in. But a lot of people are also going to dive in without answers to those questions because we've seen that happen too. Yeah, and we know one who won't dive in without answers. Oh, don't don't we ever. Yes. <laughs> Steve Wozniak. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so Steve wants to know everything provenance-wise about what's going on here and, uh, and getting the content that is created with watermarks so that it can be interrogated and you can verify and you can trust becomes the important, important part. So way to go, Waz, for making those statements. Um, I know we're getting close to time, but we want to touch super briefly on uh, something at Wendy's because we had a little bit of a Listler link here about the Wendy's, which is a fast food restaurant in the United States, um, home of the Frosty. And apparently I didn't realize that um, Square hamburgers. the home of the JBC, which is the junior bacon cheeseburger. Um, um, now, now, if they'd said three piece white with fries, I would have known exactly what that is. Um, but that's a different company entirely. Um, I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is? Come on. We live in Bojangles land. That's, you know, the, ah, you gotta, you gotta know, you gotta, you gotta know. It's been a long long little while for that. 
Any anywho, um, the the link here is from The Verge, and it's talking about uh, Wendy's testing AI chatbots. And uh, didn't we encounter something like this too, where other restaurant firms like Hardee's and others um, would use the audio from a person in their car, route it to somewhere else, transcribe to it, a call and, center, yeah, to a call center, right? And oftentimes. Um, I recall when this happened, it was some years ago, it was actually more than a some years ago, quite a few, they got it wrong a lot. And then you get to the windows like, now what did you order? And you had to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting here is is they're only doing it in one town in Columbus, Ohio, which is kind of their home. Yep. And they're only going to do it in one of the stores and they're not going to tell you which one it is. Yes, yeah, so they got to drive around to all of them and order stuff. Okay. And and so the the, the idea is, they're going to take the people who used to have to deal with the line and taking the orders and put them in cooking and make uh, a better customer service and better quality food, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so the question is, do they have a language model good enough that can understand things like, um, yeah, I'd like a JBC, hold the pickles and uh, no, 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 wait a minute. Can you, can you get rid of the lettuce, add extra onions um, and uh, a small frosty and, It'll make that two, and but and that's what it has to understand. It has to understand how people talk at a drive-through, mm-hmm. and change their mind midway through their order multiple so it times. Needs to know context. It needs to know uh, all the crazy ways that people call out their food stuff, etc. Uh, so this will be interesting to see how well their little. Ex- Yep, it will, and and we'll see. Because if it works, it can be used in a lot of places to a great extent. Well, with that, folks, we're going to wrap up for today. We'll have a couple other links to check out the show notes. Give us your ideas. Tell us what you're interested in. See what you think of the announcements from the past week. We'd love to hear and talk about those on next week's edition of GamesAtWork.biz. See you next time. been listening to gamesatwork.biz the podcast about gaming technology and play we are part of the blueberry podcasting network and would like to thank the band random encounters for their song big blue you can follow us on twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz gamesatwork.biz